Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. We're celebrating Advent with the theme of all is calm. And, uh, you know, if you're alive today, you'd probably say that, you know, if there's one statement that's uh, true, it wouldn't be that, right? I mean, just all the ups and downs and the volatility and the noise and the, you know, all the things happen just in one day alone. You wouldn't say that all is calm. But in God's reality, that's actually true. And uh, with the first coming of Jesus, God's saying that he loves us, that he's here, and that he wants to be with us. And so in the midst of all of this other stuff, he invites us in. And so that's the opportunity to enter into the calm. And so <clears throat> the, uh, the theme verse for Advent for this time is this, and you know, if you've, maybe you've memorized verses before, or maybe you, um, maybe, maybe you haven't. But this is a great one to memorize. And so maybe you memorize it during this time. But it's Psalm 34, 4. And it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. <clears throat> he delivered me from all my fears. And so that word sought there, it, uh, like one good translation of it, hits the meaning, it means to frequent. Right? And so maybe there's a, a sports bar or a restaurant or a, or a certain store that you frequent. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's a term like, well, I frequent that place. Like, you know, the people there, you go there. And so my prayer is, is that during Advent, this Advent season is that we would frequent Jesus, that we would seek Jesus again and again, that we would look to him again and again. Um, because if we don't, we're, we're looking to something else, right? Sometimes it's our own strength, our own abilities that we look to. Sometimes it's people, or sometimes it's you know, other situations, but that we would turn our hearts to Jesus and look to him during this time. And and I I agree, there's distractions. You're thinking like, that's hard. You know, I do it on Sunday. You know, uh, I do it during the week, but like, it's hard. There's distractions. And I was thinking about this, um, the distractions that the the people that were fighting in, in World War I, uh, you know, we have the, this uh, World War I museum here in Kansas City, and I went there a couple years ago, and, and just pretty amazing uh, stuff that you learn there. But there was something that happened on Christmas Eve uh, in 1914, and uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was, what was it called? They call it the Christmas Truce. And so <clears throat> what happened is, is uh, the, the Pope had actually... Uh, had actually asked the leaders of the people at war, like, hey, could you just put a pause for Christmas? And, and all the leaders rejected. But I don't know if it trickled down to the people on the front lines on the Western Front, but somehow, spontaneously, on several fronts, uh, the people stopped fighting on Christmas Eve. And, and one account was that uh, a British soldier overheard something. He says, what is that? And they heard the Germans singing Christmas carols. And, you know, and then the British said, well, let's not be outdone. Let's sing Christmas carols too. And, and then all of a sudden they heard in a German voice, but in English, come over here. And so a British sergeant said, I'll meet you halfway. And so they met in the middle and 
they traded tobacco and wine and, and just other things that they had with one another. And even a, a soccer game broke out. And they had handshakes and just paused. And, and so the, the stories are is that it's, it was possibly up to 100,000 different uh, fighting people did this during that time. And they just paused. And what a great picture of, of Advent hope. Uh, that in the midst of the pressures of the war, it was six months in and, and you know, they thought maybe it was going to be over soon, but it was kept going. And they, these, most of them were in three foot by three foot trenches, muddy and cold and tired. And yet they chose for a moment to reject the reality of their circumstances and to recognize the hope that Jesus, the Messiah, had brought. And so that's the kind of hope that we want to embrace in our world today. And uh, it's interesting. One of my favorite type of movies is like the theme where you have some person from the future and, and they bring a weapon or a strength that isn't invented yet in the past. And then the people of the the current time have to figure out how to overcome this weapon. And many times it doesn't work, right? But that's how hope is. You see, hope is this weapon from the future that there's no weapon here that can overcome it. If we implement it, there's nothing that can overcome the weapon of hope that we have as Christians. And so my intent today is, is to share uh, definitions of hope stories of hope that we might be able to implement that into our lives and enter more into hope during this Advent season. And so the first thing we look at is, is we look at the anatomy of hope. So Christian hope is not wishful thinking, right? You've heard the term like, oh, I just hope I can have this. You know, like I had that when I was a kid and, and I just hoped like for my 10th birthday, uh, I wanted, I had watched the Christmas story uh, you know, the, I typically watch it at least once during this time of year. Great movie. And uh, it, he had a Red Rider BB gun. So when I was 10, I'm like, oh, man, I want one of those. I just hope, hope, hope. Now, I got it. But, the, you know, there was no, like, confidence just, like, at all. It's just kind of like, I hope, I wish. Christian hope is not like that. Christian hope is, is like a full confidence. It's a full confidence that what God has said will happen is happening and will happen. And so hope for the Christian is the fullness of God's kingdom come. So like God's will done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Christian hope. And uh, hope is a surrendering and a recognizing of who God is, letting him, his character and his track record and all of those things inform our present reality. Even though everything around us that surrounds us does not support that truth. It's a complete rejection. You say, well, that sounds like faith. Well, faith and hope are a little bit different. Faith is believing the past, current, and future reality of what Jesus has done and believing that it's true and taking those actions. But hope is a confident expectation of that which is promised and current Yet it's elusive because there's not supporting things that support it. And also what's promised and future 
It's the yet, but not yet. And so hope is this thing where we can actually experience that which is in the future now. Uh, hope is recognizing that, um, that God is ahead of us. You know, like God is farther down the line than us and, and that goodness is there and he's piecing together all of the things that we need for that place. Jesus said that. He said, he said that I go to prepare a place for you. One of the greatest truths that Jesus had ever said is that he's preparing a place for you. I mean, think about that, that, that Jesus ascended from this earth and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to walk with us, and that he's been with his dad, his father, for 2,000 years preparing a place for you. Uh, for you to enjoy. And your greatest expectations or your greatest dreams of how great it could be are just a shadow of the reality of how good it's going to be. And so that is hope. Uh, The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he had to put this into practice because it's one thing to say that I, okay, I live in hope, I walk in this, but it's another thing to push aside everything that says differently and to walk in this. And so the prophet Isaiah, uh, he was in a time that he actually, uh, there was a, a Syrian army that was just powerful and it torn apart all kinds of other nations and it was bearing down upon, upon uh, Israel and it, just the stories of how they were gonna decimate everything was gonna go down and your God this time isn't gonna be able to save you and all kinds of government turmoil and division and everything going on. And yet in the midst of it, Isaiah wrote this, He said, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this great scripture that we know and read at Christmas and other times about who Jesus will be, some of this has happened. Uh, It gave them a current comfort and encouragement in their time. Prophecy many times is like that. There's a current meaning and a future meaning. And so it brought them encouragement in that time because they were saved from what was happening. But then also, too, the future meaning was that Jesus would ultimately come. And so I ask you today, like, where do you need to invite hope? Like in your life, like maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for uh, your family or a friend or a situation that you see, like, like where do you need the substance of the hope of that everything is going to be good, everything is going to be wrapped up? Because that's our Christian hope is that it's the hope of resurrection, that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection that we all would experience as we trust in him and give our lives to him, that we would all ultimately experience resurrection, that death itself would not hold us. And that all the things that we struggle with today, with division and and the things that we do to one another and hurt each other. And and I mean, just think about this. In the world that Jesus is creating, there's no anxiety. There's no insecurity. There's no fear. It's described as a time where the lion lays down with the lamb. It's a, it's a place and a time that's described as there's no more tears, there's no more death. I mean, all of the things that, I mean, what would you do if there was no threat of any of that? And that's what we're looking to. And so you take that reality, that hope, and it's not religious because we have a tendency to say, well, oh, that's what is in this category. No, it invades every part of the substance of life today. 
And so you can invite that hope into your life. Like if, if, you're, if you have some lack today, like if, you would, if I would have a conversation with you and you, I said, hey, what's going on with you? Well, I can't, I need, I, I hurt, or I, you know, these, that list, or you talk to somebody, bring the hope of the reality of where God is building all of this into that. And you say, well, that's kind of hopeful. Well, what's the alternative? I mean, what's the alternative when, when we say we can't, we need, we want, we we're have, well, the alternative is to say, well, everything's going to pot. Everything's going down. The sky is falling, right? I mean, and by saying that, you're saying an ultimate truth that like, this is where everything is headed. But Christian hope is saying, actually, everything's headed this way. And so we can let that inform every situation. And you say, well, Cody, I've done that before, and, and I've lost people, and I've, I've lost battles, and I've had things go down, and I've had hurt, and right, but that's not the final word. Jesus defeated death itself. And so all of it, even those hurts, even those losses, those things, ultimately is redeemed as God brings his fullness of his kingdom together. So where do you need to invite hope today to inform things? Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's uh, in your job. Maybe it's in your company. You may look at your company to the place you work today and say, gosh, what a negative place. Yet our, our tagline is, is we bring joy to the world, you know, or whatever, right? Like, you know, one of those things. It's like, yeah, but you got to know how the sausage is made here. Is that a bad saying? Okay. So last week I told you, sometimes I think things and I shouldn't say it. So, but, but, but you know, right. It's, isn't it amazing how just like a little bit of negativity can just spread throughout the whole mix of things in a neighborhood or in a city. I mean, as you look around to things, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is, is that you don't have to settle for things being bad as a Christian. You don't have to settle for things like, well, that's just the way it is. Whether it's you, whether it's your life, whether it's that around you, you don't have to settle. Again, you have this superpower, which is hope as a Christian. And uh, it made me think of the person that kind of coined that term, and maybe others have said it. You know, it's hard with quotes, but uh, Brian Stevenson uh, is a, lo- a lawyer and author, and uh, he wrote the book, Just Mercy. And uh, he goes around telling people that hope is their superpower. Uh, you may have seen the movie, Just Mercy. Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to. It's, it's, it's pretty brutal. Um, okay. Um, I, recommend, I never recommend movies, and now I'm doing it again. The last time I recommended a movie, I got hate mail. You know, so yeah. No, so no, not hate mail. They told me to my face. They said, what are you doing? So, um, but uh, the, the book and the movie deals with... Um, it deals with people being falsely accused. It deals with racism. It deals with, you know, all sorts of things, but it's, it's pretty powerful. But, but Brian Stevenson uh, is a Christian and he grew up, uh, he was, uh, grew up in segregation. He grew up in humble beginnings and uh, he ended up going to Harvard Law School. And when he graduated, he pushed away other offers uh, that he could, you know, to do the corporate world and all these things, but to, to actually uh, found an organization in Alabama that would 
that would actually, uh, it was a human rights organization, still is, dedicated to exonerating innocent death row prisoners, eliminating excessive and unfair sentencing, confronting abuse of the mentally ill, and uh, aiding children persecuted as adults. So Stevenson saw a problem, and so he prepared himself and he stepped into it. And he says that uh, what informed him in all of this was a verse from his childhood uh, from church that he learned, Micah 6, 8. And he says, it says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So doesn't that sound good that, that hope would so permeate you, that hope would so live in you, that it splashes out and invades the areas of your life, that you would have such confidence and hope of where things are headed that, that as you look around around you, you would actually just let that hope invade all of those other spaces, that you never have to look at a situation and say, well, there's no hope. That's the life of a Christian, and that's what he did. But this, this is Advent and kingdom hope. This is, this is uh, just confident expectation. And it's important to recognize that we live in a time seeing the first coming of Jesus. Uh, and it, for thousands of years, people wrote about and talked about, and they had this hope, this messianic hope, all the way from the beginning of time, we see in the Garden of Eden, God speaks of this when he, he speaks to the man and the woman and he speaks to the serpent that caused them to sin. And he speaks to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Speaking of Jesus, that Jesus would cut off the work of Satan and sin in the line of people, ultimately by laying down his life. And so that's where hope of a Messiah started in the scriptures and as people shared this oral tradition of what God would do. But by the time that Jesus actually came as Messiah, many, including the, the, the most religious, those equal to, you know, if you're here today, you're practicing Christianity and we're looking to the, the second coming of Jesus, the advent of Jesus, their messianic hope had become something different than it was supposed to be. Uh, they, they had all kinds of theories, and, and some were right and some were wrong, and, 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 and they, they, they knew all the right way to think about things, and they searched the scriptures for what would happen and how things would happen, but their hearts were disconnected from God. And so if Jesus had a landing uh, area, you know, where the landing zone, like I like... Uh, I like uh, war movies where you know they go in and, and they're going to get lifted out in the landing zone, special forces and things. And they, oh, there's the landing zone. They got to get to the landing zone because that's where the rescue helicopter's coming or the plane, right? But if you put the Pharisees in Jesus's day, and if you look at them like where they were, like their messianic hope, everything looked like they would have been at the landing zone. But in actuality, they were so far from where the Messiah actually landed in the practice of their hope. Because their hope didn't work itself out into justice in the lives of people. Their hope was firmed in right belief, but that right belief didn't benefit really themselves or anybody else because when God showed up bodily in front of them, sharing with them, they couldn't recognize him. 
And so this Advent hope is different than that. And we have to adopt it. We have to adopt it where we have this Christianity, this this following of Jesus that that as he pours into us, it's like... um, uh, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas coming up, you know, you're around the table and, well, can you pass this? Can you pass this? I mean, you do not keep one platter of thing just down here, right? And if you're a little hangry and you've been cooking all day, it's just like, will you pass the potatoes? <laughs> just, those are not just for you, you know, right? And, and there's a little bit of fear in my family because my boys are so big and strong and they eat everything that it's just like, I'm like, hey, can you send that down here? Quick. You know, no, go this way. Like I have them go this way because if I know if it goes this way, that child will actually take the rest. But we have to actually have a, 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 a second coming of Jesus' hope that we're just, we take in all that we can and then immediately we're passing it out. We're passing it to others. There has to be a constant flow of things. Uh, I grew up out in the country in central California and so uh, when I was a child young, I, I read Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and um, just love, just love those stories. And, you know, would love the stories of going to the river and, and uh, you know, fishing holes and, or swimming holes and that kind of thing. And so um, uh, we would go find some of those places and swim. And, uh, you know, the, but there was a big difference between the ones that like water flowed in and flowed out. And then the ones where it just flowed in and it just stunk. You know, it had stuff coming in, but there wasn't anything flowing out of it. It just became full and eventually just kind of sat there. And that's how we can become if there just isn't this open flow. Just the open flow. I mean, the song we sing today, I mean, that, that you took me out of death and gave me your kingdom. I mean, what a switch, what a trade. But it's not an arrival for us. It's actually a place of just open hands. We receive everything from God and we give everything from God. Everything we have is from him and we just, it's all open. That's our messianic hope. Jesus said, you know, when I come again, will I find faith on the earth? We know a few things for sure about his second coming. Is that he tells us to be ready. He invites us to absolutely be ready. And he also tells us you don't know when it will happen. And then he gives all kinds of different stories and clues that it'll be there. And we can look at those and find those out. But ultimately what he's getting at is, is will your heart be tied to mine? And will you be near the landing zone? Will your faith and your hope actually bring justice on the earth? Or will you repeat that of your forefathers. Because they knew all the scripture in the world, they had all the ideas in the world, and yet their hearts were far from God. And so the thing that God does is he gives us people to actually play this out. He gives us people as the canary in the coal mine to actually show us where we truly are with him. We actually can't say that if if we hate our brother, but we love God, it's the earliest followers of Jesus say it's just it's just can't be. And so the next thing we see is that hope is our anchor. So uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter six, verse 19 says, we have this hope 
as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. So in that verse there where it says, uh, this hope, we have this hope, he's speaking of what he spoke right before. And right before he talked about how in the beginning, Abraham, who was a person that lived by faith, believed God because God said, I want you to leave your current land and I want you to go over here and I'm going to give you everything and I'm going to actually bring Messiah through your people. And it's talking about promises, how we have a confidence in the promises of God. You see, the word promise is actually for us. God uses the word promise so that we're more comfortable. You know, you go to somebody's home, they welcome you. What can I get you? You know, can I get you something to drink? Can I get you something to eat? Oh, sit anywhere you want. Make somebody comfortable. When God uses the word promise, he does that for us because we need that. When God speaks something, it's done. That's actually the language and the theological and the correct understanding of when God says something or promises something in our terms. He speaks it, it is. There's no in-between, there's no wishy-washy. He just speaks it and it is. We see that in, in the beginning of creation that God would speak things into creation. And so it is in our lives and, and, and that's our anchor, you guys that if God spoke it, it's done, that everything is headed to a good place. And all of creation, not just you and I, but all of creation, and Paul writes in the eighth chapter of Romans, that all of creation is groaning and longing for everything to be made right. Because I don't know if you've thought before or read before that, that see, when people sinned, that all of creation was affected. And when we sin, all of creation is affected. I mean, the whole thing is thrown off kilter by humans not functioning in the way that they do. I read this thing recently that says um, that, is, that you know, in the first like 40 or 50 years of your life, um, and you guys are probably gonna think I'm a nerd. I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? But I'll do it. Um, you know, that, that you that you actually like never really notice birds, but like as you get like in your 40s, anybody else get a witness? Yeah, so as you get older. Now I will say, Jesus says, look at the birds. We read in, in Sermon on the Mount. But so I was out at my mom's house in, in Palm Springs and she has a bird feeder and we went and got more bird seed. And so I was talking about that with Michelle. And so for my birthday, she got me a bird feeder. Oh man, I'll tell you what. And so I set that thing up right where I could see it from the dining area and then the living area. I can see that as I look out the window and I love it. And, uh, um, you know, they, uh, they're, it's like crack. Uh, I mean, like, like seriously, I mean, I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm going to have to get a second job, uh, because I put the bird seed and all of a sudden it was just gone. And I will tell you, like the first time I put it out, I did spill some all over the, um, uh, the patio, but um, I swear, there was like two dozen birds. It was like the Alfred Hitchcock bird movie almost. Like I was a little scared, like, oh no, I went too far. But it's reassuring to me because I'm like, oh, that's how I'm to be. That's part of me functioning in the way God created me to be, that, that creation is blessed, creation is whole, creation has what it needs because I'm functioning in that. 
But what is our proper place as people? That all of creation groans that we would take our place is that we would be worshipers. Right? It was Jesus wrote in on, uh, you know, on Palm Sunday. What did it say? They said, tell the people to be quiet because they said, Hosanna. They say, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've hoped for. And Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the very stones will cry out. And so our proper place for us is actually, like of all the things we long for, our proper place is to be one of hope and expectation and worship to God. And that actually sets all of creation right. And I've seen it. I've seen it with our animals. We have a dog and a couple of cats. And, and no joke, when we sit down as a family and, and we like read the word and pray and talk and do that, they will all come and sit there. Most of them know Jesus at this point. There's one we're concerned about. Um, but uh, it's, it's just, you know, that's the first several years of, of um, me preaching. Uh, I used to practice on our cat, you know. So I'd bring the cat in the room and, and, and I'd practice my sermons, you know, uh, to the cat. And so, and he was doing okay. He did good. But creation knows, like animals know, seriously, they know when the presence of God is there. They know when we're functioning in that way. And this is the weapon is hope. Other people do too. You know that, right? Like, like, you know, when we join in, when there's gossip or there's slandering or things different going on at work or in the neighborhood or different things, and we just join in like everyone else, it's just, you know, like, what's the difference? But when we bring hope, when we walk away from those things, or, or we defend people in those situations, or when we bring light into those situations, it makes all the difference, and everybody knows. Everybody knows that, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. One person that did, did this was uh, Desmond Tutu. Uh, he was a South African English, Anglican bishop. And uh, controversial in some ways, but follower of Jesus. And uh, he was in South Africa during apartheid, and he fought for uh, the rights of all people and bringing all people together equal as one. And I, I love this quote that he said about hope. He said, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Isn't that beautiful? What a wonderful way to live to be able to see that there's light despite all the darkness. So, so how do we take this home? Like, how do we do this during Advent? Because we're big on that, right? Like, Bible says you're not supposed to just be a hearer of the things of God or the word of God. You're supposed to be a doer of those things. That's where the power is. Like, knowing stuff doesn't do anything, but actually putting it into our lives does. So these are big stories, right? Well, bring it back to your small story, just in your context and what you're doing and where, can, where do you need to bring hope? Here's a few things you could do. They're on your outline there. Uh, you can take five minutes each day to be, just be quiet before God. Because to bring hope, we have to be filled with hope. Right? If we want to bring hope into busyness, we need to pull back and receive some. Uh, you can join our, our, our three-year uh, Bible reading uh, plan. Bookmarks are on the, on the front there. Just hop in right wherever you're at. Read a chapter a day. Seek God. Remember, frequent God during this time. Um, there's a link on your bulletin for a Vineyard USA Association of Churches we're part of that you can scan the QR code or go to the link, and they have an Advent devotional for every day 
all the way through Advent for the next four weeks. Uh, you could read uh, the Gospel of Luke. There's 24 chapters start on December 1st. You could read one chapter a day and seek God that way. But it's been said that Christians are to be hopers. Isn't that good? That we're hopers. You know, so if, if anybody thinks you're anything or says whatever, or, you know, like, what if we were really just known as hopers? People would say, man, the, you know, that hope is a superpower there. You know, and so when we look and we say, well, man, my finances are bad. Well, I'm a hoper. You know, or, or hey, I've got a neighbor that this, you know, something went bad or there's loss or death in their life or they need or they're hurting or they're struggling. We're hopers. That's what we do. Or, hey, you know, there's division in our city or there's division in the churches or these things going on. That's okay. We're hopers. You know, hey, we're, we're you know, I've got these friends and they're struggling in their marriage. That's okay. We're hopers. You see, that's the way we live our life. That's why there's no situation that can overcome the work of God and what he does. And uh, coming back to the Christmas truce, uh, not everybody was happy about this. You know, the, the, the generals in charge, they were like, what are you doing? They, they got so upset that this happened. And you've got to know that, that if you're going to be a hoper, don't look for permission. Like you're fully deputized to bring hope. Don't look for permission from anybody to bring the hope of the reality of Messiah Jesus come and coming into any situation. Because many times you're to lead up. That's how it always is. God uses small things, small people to affect things. And in the midst of it too, interesting fact, it's recorded that there was one 25-year-old officer amongst the Germans that you know, said, do you ha- not have any German honor anymore that you would pause and do this? That person was Adolf Hitler. And so as you look to bring hope, there'll always be resistance too. But it actually is the fuel for real life. And so how awesome for us as, as we walk through Advent to be able to say like, over the next several weeks that, that again, our theme verse, that I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. May that be true of us. May we say that during this time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the reality of what you're doing in the world and what you've done. Thank you that you're heading all things to good. And yet, Lord, I I pray that you would do something in us in this moment. Because it's hard, Lord. We have distractions. We have fears. We have hardships, Lord. This sounds good, but something needs to break in us, God, that we would allow your hope to permeate in us. And so, so would you do something in us now, Holy Spirit, that we would be hopers, that they would say of the people of Vineyard that they're hopers, that they bring hope into every situation, into every time and every place. Let that be true of us, Lord. We have the full resources of your kingdom. We lack nothing. And so, God, why not us, Lord, that the things that are going on around us, Lord, and the things that are hurting in our lives, God, we invite your hope. 
you'd move in us, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to bkcwest.com.